right, it is very, very good to be with you this morning. I want to thank Pastor Carpenter for allowing me to preach and to be here. Um, he has been very gracious and very kind to us, and uh, I, I just so appreciate that. Heritage is a place that is special, I think, to many people, and it is very special also to us. It is a place that has always been an incredible blessing and an incredible example to me of what a Christian should be and what a church should be. And I just cannot imagine being what Beth and I are in Christ and the church in Ireland being what it is without Heritage Baptist Church. Um, Heritage is, is in an area in Northern Virginia and I grew up in a family of 10 children, really rather poor. And they taught me things about ministry in an affluent area that have directly correlated to the ministry in Ireland. Most missions works are in the lower or to the middle part of the spectrum. There was a large section in Southeast Dublin that is about 400,000 people where there is hardly a gospel witness and that was the area that God called us to. And it was, our, it was the training that we received here, the example of Pastor Edwards, the excellence in the pulpit, the preparation that he brought to his, his delivery. It was the example of Pastor Tangeman and his, his selflessness and giving and diligence. The Pastor, Pastor Koza and the work that he did in the school, his wisdom, his quiet but wise demeanor. It was the members of the church. They were all inculcating within us a concept of ministry and Christian life. And this is what we have in, in, um, in Ireland today. It's a result of this ministry. So if you were to go there today, and I'd encourage you to come visit us. It's only about six hours on a flight. And, um, you know, Ireland has a pre-clearance for, for the U.S. It's easy to go back and forth. But if you were to go there, I think you would find a church that is very similar to Heritage. Not nearly as big, but it is a good-sized church. It is, uh, it is a growing church. It is um, a substantial witness in Southeast Dublin. Um, as Beth and I have remained, this last half of our time there in Ireland is much more fruitful than our first half. The church is just ideally positioned. It, it just has a great influence there in Southeast Dublin. We, Ireland right now, as I'll talk about in, in, the, in the slide or the video I'll show tonight, is the top 1% of the world economically. They're really the top of, of, any, of any country of any substantial size, outplacing Switzerland and Singapore. And there are economic migrants coming from all over the world. And we just have an amazing opportunity to reach these people. Um, we are reaching unsaved Catholics, but we're also reaching Charismatics and Calvinists that are coming in and looking for a church. And unlike um, the U.S. and some parts of the U.S. where there are a lot of churches, there aren't. And so whereas they would not normally look to a sound, fundamental, Bible-believing church, they do. And we have had incredible opportunities to work with people and to see them saved and become fundamental, independent, King James, God-loving, um, sin-hating, <laughs> serving, uh, gentle Christians. And so it's an exciting time in the church. I will talk about that a little bit more tonight, Lord willing. But I just want to especially just thank you for letting me be here. Now, just a little bit of a history. Every time I've preached here before, I've uh, preached on missions. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to preach on missions directly. I want to share something with you that has just been foundational in my own life. 
Years ago, I read a quote by Tozier where he said, God does not only love you, he likes you. And that quote arrested me when I realized that God not only loved me enough to die for me, that he actually delighted in me for who I am. That was a transformational thought that has guided me over several years. I was born into a large Catholic family where there were 10 of us kids. And my mom always talked about Ireland. She always talked about the fact that both of her parents were born and raised in Ireland. When they were in their 30s, they moved to New York City. And she named us in our high school yearbook the, the Canavan Clan. <laughs> she was just a very Irish family, Irish Catholic home. When I went into the Marine Corps and I went over to Okinawa, Japan, they were at a BIMI missions church, I heard the gospel and was wonderfully saved. And 10 months later, I was moved here to Woodbridge, Virginia. In May of 89 and July of 89, my wife arrived to teach in the Christian school. And as I began to grow in the Lord, this idea of relationship, this idea of friendship with God has gradually taken an outplay size in my life. I'm realizing that relationship is the essence of our walk with God. Our relationship to God really informs our thought process. It really dictates the actions that we take, the attitudes that we embrace. These are all a product of the relationship that we have. This morning in James chapter 2 and verse 23, which is our text, I want to consider Abraham. Because Abraham, to me, typifies a deep and enduring friendship, a relationship with God. He seems to be a supremely happily contented and triumphant individual because of this relationship that he has. Look at me in James chapter 2 and verse 23. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we look at the preaching of your word that, Father, I pray for the hearers that you would enable them to hear your truth, your voice, your word. Father, I pray that they would have a relationship with you that would begin or be strengthened this morning. Father, I pray that I would be filled with thy spirit and say only what you want said in the way that you want it said. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a friend? If we were to talk about the friendship of God, we would first have to think about what a friend is. Ed Cunningham said, friends are those rare people who ask how we are and then wait to hear the answer. Samuel Butler said, friendship is like money, easier made than kept. Christy Warner said, a true friend is one who knows all about you and likes you anyway. It has been synonymous, but someone has said, friends are those who can sit next to you on a bench, never say a word, and then walk away feeling like you've had a great conversation. Joseph Addison said that friendship is the great sweetener in human life. Raised to the high pitch, it brings a secret that few discover. When we think about friendship, we have to recognize that 
the concept has fallen on hard times with the advent of social media. I'm not saying that social media is all bad, but I am saying that when we equate relationship with a like for a YouTube video, when we create relationship of a like for what somebody we like posted or what we posted and they have therefore liked, or we equate relationship or friendship with pressing a button and becoming a friend or pressing a button and unfriending, I think the idea of friendship has been a bit diluted. The Bible idea of friendship has substance and depth to it. It speaks of a relationship that is far beyond pressing a button. It speaks of a relationship where people are leaning on each other, really choosing to lean and choosing to have allow others to lean on them. All, all relationships have this idea of connection, of trust, of a space where we can know and where we can be known. And it is interesting that when God saves us, he immediately congregates us into spiritual communities. And you know, no, virtual, I cannot find virtually anything that is said in the Bible that is not said to believers that are congregated in the New Testament church. Everything that is said in the Bible is said to either someone who is unsaved, encouraging them to be saved, or the audience of a believer who is connected to God and connected to other, other believers. So the Bible speaks of friendship in very high terms, and it, and it reveals things about us created in the image of God and the character of God and the social aspect of our nature. As we are created with a distinct likeness to God, we must be socially connected and socially related. There must be an expression of that if we are to be true to what God has created us. Now, God does not need friends. He does not have to have friends. He is a unified whole. He doesn't learn or grow to any degree. There's no change in his nature. He is absolute perfection. He truly is the glorious king of heaven and earth, and there is nothing that is lacking within him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you think about it, are interacting perfectly. There is perfect peace, sublime joy. There is relationship between the Trinity. My friend, there is no contention, envy, or selfishness there. And we are created with that image. We are created with that likeness. We are a dis distinct caricature of God. And we must have social relationship. We are healthiest and we are strongest when we are connected. And we are most weak and most vulnerable when we are disconnected and we are isolated. That is just a foundational truth. None of us are isolated islands in a vast ocean. We are all interconnected believers with other believers. That is the essence and the importance of our life. One thing that we can always do in these relationships, and one thought that should always be present in a relationship as we're relating to other people is the simple phrase that I understand and I care. In every relationship that we have, we should be saying, I understand and I care. I was walking outside the building there in Ireland a few weeks ago, two weeks, three weeks ago, and one of the workers said he was fined 60,000 euros by the Irish government because of a mistake that they made. And my eyes were like, I said, whoa, I am so sorry, and I genuinely was. And he stopped and he said, thank you. 
When we say that I understand, and we express that we genuine, genuinely care, we are entering into a depth of relationship. We are enabling relationship. We are furthering relationship. Did you know the last stage before humans are come to a place of, of ruin and destruction is isolation? And if you look at people that come to the horrible place of mass murder or things of that sort, you will find that they are isolated. They are, they are normally loners. And when believers have healthy connections, they are at their best. Do you know the last thing I told the triplets before I left them at, at a Bible college down at Crown, before I flew 3,500 miles back to Dublin was, what would I say? I thought about it a long time before I, before I dropped them off. What do you say to your kids? You're leaving them. It really, they're cross-culture. They're raised in Ireland. What do you say? And I simply told them, be faithful to church. Don't miss Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. Because I knew they were going to hit valleys, and they would need to be lifted. I knew they were probably going to hit some mountaintops and perhaps need to be a little lowered or, or, or measured. I knew that they needed that connection, and as long as they were within a spiritual body, under and structured according to a New Testament church, as long as they were with the people of God, they would be strong. And I knew that would help them. You see, we need these relationships. I was at the Bank of Ireland about three weeks ago. I had to make an IBAN transfer. And as I was there in the bank, I um, was at a kiosk. And Ireland is going to almost people-less banks. And so as you're standing at this kiosk, I notice a lady is beginning to get very irate and very upset there in uh, Dublin. She's, she can't access her money. The bank has closed down her account. It seems her account was compromised. And she goes, look, I need my money. I need access to this. And as she becomes more and more irate, the lady from the kiosk, who is the only lady out there, there's a couple people over in the far corner at a counter, she walks over and tries to uh, console her, and then she goes into an office. So I put out my watch and started the stopwatch, because <laughs> I knew that this was going to be a little bit of a wait. I just, I just do that. So as we're waiting there, a lady comes in behind me, and she sees nobody at the kiosk, and she says, is anybody here? And I said, yeah, she's back in the office. And up to this point, I'm stewing a bit. I'm watching my watch. It's 14 minutes. It's 20 minutes. It's 22 minutes. And then she begins to vent a little bit, and as, as the Irish do, talk about her frustration. And I kind of talk a little bit about my frustration, not, try not to be too negative. And we, we begin to commiserate. We begin to share. We begin to relate to each other. And another guy walks in, and we're all standing, we're standing around talking, waiting. And he says, yeah, they just want your money. And another lady walks in. She sees our long faces. And she goes, welcome to the face of banking in Ireland in 2022. It is people-less. And the lady behind me says, well, I need to talk to somebody at the bank. I need to resolve this issue. I need someone. And can I tell you, I could have stood there for that 42 minutes stewing in my own frustration. But I was somehow lifted through the connection with other people who were going through the same thing. You see, when God congregates us into a spiritual body, it is a chance to know others 
and to be known by others. And that is a crucial part of our development as an individual. We must have these connection points. And I really believe one of the vital points in any church service is what happens after the service. When people stand around and have face-to-face -face communication, where they begin to share life with each other. On Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, these are crucial parts of each one of our lives. God, though he does not need relationship, though he does not require it, it is indisputable he delights in it. He talks about Abraham being his friend. And as a, as a dad, as a father, I delight in my children. I delight with their triumphs and weep with their struggles. Our love and delight in our children is as different as the sunlight is from the headlamps in our car. God's delight in us, God's love for us, his consuming interest in us and his friendship with us is vast. When you look at Abraham, we see God is facilitating relationship. He is lifting Abraham, and he is bringing him along as his friend. He delights in him. He loves him. He walks with him. And I'm just saying these are important things in the life of Abraham. He needs that friendship with others, and he needs that friendship with the Lord. Because the truth of the matter is, we do what we do. Think what we think and act the way we act out of relationships that are in our life. Now, my wife Beth is here, and she loves dark, dark, dark chocolate. Now, I'm kind of a milk chocolate guy. I'm not quite to the point of the really dark chocolate, because it can be a, a little bit bitter, but I know she likes that. So if I find that out there, I'll sometimes stop and I'll buy her a little bit of dark, dark chocolate because I know what it's like. You see, the relationships are that way. There's a sense of investing and being invested in. There's a sense of loving and being loved. There's a sense of revealing and allowing others to reveal within the trust and within the friendship that we have with God. Now, one complication with this is that God is infinite. He is, he is, his knowledge is is, there's nothing that he does not know. There is no power that he does not possess. And yet, out of that infinite love and humility, there comes a possibility that is more complicated in human relationships because, because a king and a servant can have a friendship to a sword. It's more complicated. But look with me in John chapter 15 and verse number 13. Notice what Jesus says here. John chapter 15 and verse number 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Think of the unfathomable love that God has. The incredible humility that is here. He's calling us his friends. And he's telling us that he, as our friend, has great love for us. It's interesting that he doesn't call us servants. He doesn't call us slaves. He calls us friends. In verse 14, he says, you are, you are my friends. 
You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. If you are in that zone, if you are with me, if this friendship is authentic, if your character is that which is right and true, if there is integrity, if there is truthfulness, if there is genuineness in this relationship with me, then there is friendship with me. It's an astounding thought that you and I could be the friends of God, and yet God makes that possible to you and I. Look with me in, Rome, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1. Genesis 18 and verse number 1. Then we'll come up to Hebrews 11 and verse 17. Genesis 18 verse number 1. Notice what God does with his friend Abraham. It's amazing. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in his, the tent door in the heat of the day. So it seems that Abraham has a time and a place where he goes to the front of his tent, and God knows that. And God comes to him, and God meets with him. Abraham, through this relationship, has an int intimate knowledge of the Trinity. He, he knows God. He's relating to God out of this friendship and this relationship that he has with him. In Hebrews 11 and verse 17, there's an amazing summarization of, of Abraham and the offering of his son Isaac. And it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When Abraham raised that knife in order to slay his son Isaac, he knew that it was a type of the father offering his own son. He understood that. It says in verse 19, from whence he received him in a figure. In other words, he understood the father offering the, uh, his son. He understood when he caught the ram in the bushes and made him as a substitute. He understood the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ coming to die upon the cross for our sins. I think he recognizes God's provision for his, our, his sin and he rejoices in it. Jesus said in, in John chapter 8 and verse number 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Christ and what it signified and what it meant. Abraham knew that he was broken in his sin. He knew there was nothing that could atone and nothing that could make it right. Though he possibly could cover it from human eyes, he could not erase it from God's eyes. The sin stood between him and a holy God who loved him, and he knew there must be a payment for sin. And what a glorious day it is within each of our lives when we acknowledge that we are broken and in our sin, and we look outside of ourselves to the cross, and we depend upon God's provision, his son, as the payment for our sin. And as we look to what God has provided, we become saved, we become born again, and we receive new life. And I think this is what Abraham is rejoicing in. 
he sees the father offering the son and he recognizes that he is a type of that. I think he is knowing that God could raise him as God would raise his own son. How does he know that? How does Abraham recognize this and see this and understand it? He's the friend of God. He's the friend of God. And within friendship, things are revealed. Things are seen and known within friendship. And God is speaking to Abraham in a way that he never speaks to Lot. God is communicating things to him within the bounds of that friendship that is simply amazing. Back in Genesis 18 and verse number 1, notice, as the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, that there's a familiarity that is going on here. Now, I don't want to stretch this too much in the speculation, but there's a sense to where Abraham knows where he's, he's running around and he's preparing a meal for God the Father or God the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever it might be in that form. When he sees him, he is rejoicing in his friend that he has this relationship with. And, he's, and God teaches him and reveals things to him in this. Look at verse 16 of chapter 18. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? It's an astounding thought that very possibly the Lord Jesus is, is talking with him. And he says, Will I hide from Abraham what I will do? He's considering Abraham, his friend, what he will reveal or what he won't reveal to him. There's a sense of interaction that is going on here that is wonderful to behold. In verse number 20, we see, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But notice this phrase at the end of verse 22 of, of Genesis 18. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. As Abraham walks the, possibly the Lord Jesus and the angels over into the direction of Sodom, the angels go off to arrest Sodom. Sodom is with, so without insight in his carnality and intimacy and relationship, he doesn't realize judgment is descending upon him. And the angels are coming to warn him. It is a stark picture of the potential of the Christian life, that you and I could live in a state of coldness and be so ignorant of what God is doing, or we could live in a state of intimacy and be so aware and connected with what God is doing. But the interesting thing here is, as the angels go off, Abraham doesn't move. He just stands there with his friend. He wants time with his friend. He wants relationship with his friend. Wouldn't you be curious to see what the angels are going to do? How this is going to unfold? Would we walk with the angels? Or would we remain back with our friend? You see, God gave Abraham incredible power in this situation. He allows them, he allows him to literally dictate the terms of the relationship. Look at verse 32. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. 
And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham has such depth in his friendship, such closeness in his relationship, that he is walking with God through the judgment that is unfolding before him. He is literally in the presence of God as the plan of God is unfolding. Moses is another interesting example of this. Both of them are jealous for God. You see, when we talk about Abraham being the friend of God, there's a spiritual integrity and character that is here. It is not wishful or emotional. Abraham is the friend of God. He's very concerned with how God will be viewed through the judgment, just as Moses was. And I, I think it's important to understand that when we say we are the friend of God, we have that character, we have that substance, that we are his friend, that we are for his kingdom, that we are for his rule, for his will in this world. You see, friends are that way to each other. They take care of each other. They look after each other. They nurture each other. They rebuke each other. They help each other. And it is a part of friendship. And Abraham was greatly blessed through this. The Bible says in Genesis 24 and verse 1, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. You see, it wasn't that Abraham did these good things and was the friend of God. Because Abraham was the friend of God, he did these good things. It was all out of that friendship that he had. And really, that's the only way that you, Abraham really can be understood. It is, it is part of him. It is intrinsic to his character. It has been said, when everyone else walks out, a friend is one who walks in. And I think when God loved us, and died for our sin, he created the possibility of relationship. Through his infinite humility and love, the possibility is there. But are we of the character and the integrity to be the friend of God? It is the great end, the great fulfillment of our life, that when God is working in a heart and gospel is being given to a sinner, we go back and we call back on them. Even though we fear rejection, we are the friend of God. And God is doing a work here, and we are for his interests. We are for what it is that he wants to do, the way that he is leading, the way that he is moving. I'm there. That's who I am. I am the friend of God. When God wants to send missionaries, he uses us. To send them. When the church needs helpers in ministries, disciples on Wednesdays, uh, people helping to maintain the building, to clean the building, to cook for special events. When God's kingdom is moving, the friends of God are there. They love him, they serve him, and they walk with him. And it is authentic and real. In Genesis 14, there's an interesting picture of Abraham um, before the king of Sodom, after he has been rescued by Abraham's efforts. And it shows how, after he is rescued, that Abraham met the king of Mel Melchizedek, the, I'm sorry, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. 
and he gave him tithes of all. And he made a statement that he would not be ruled by greed, that he could live off of the 90%. He could give God the 10%. It wasn't that important to him. The, the relationship to God was more important with him. And I think he insulated himself from the offer that the king of Sodom then made to him. And the, king of, and the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord of heaven. Literally, he's saying, I've lifted up my hand. God is my witness. The most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. You see his character here. He could have enriched himself greatly and vastly through this offering of the king of Sodom. It is not inconsequential. It is large. And yet, he loves God. And I think because of his character, he is tithing, he is willing to live off of the 90%. He is insulated from the greed that could have derailed him. And the greedy and slanderous king of Sodom could have then diminished God's glory and said he was the reason for the great blessing in Abraham's life. You say Abraham is just a man who is real. He, that's who he is. He's not talking about it so much. He's not, he's not acting it. He is it. He is truly the friend of God. And his, his work is just amazing to behold. It's just an amazing account God's given us. Job had his controversies with God. He's tossed quite a bit. His three friends begin to shake him. Abraham has no controversies with God. He staggers not at what God offers, asks him to do. Offer thy son. He rises immediately and he offers his son. David played, was plagued with unbelief, wondering how the wicked prosper. When he is chastened every morning, he descends into the valley and Abraham just seems to walk on the hilltops in the light of heaven with God, his friend. He has this practical confidence in God, and, and all friendship is that way. It has a degree of faith that we are fallible, and, and our friends on earth are fallible, and it does uh, necessitate a degree of wisdom and measured trust. It doesn't say that friendship can exist without trust. True faith accepts impossibilities and incongruities in life. It believes, and mistrust is, is the death of friendship. Friendship thrives in open and honest relationships where trust is established, and it is a solid part of that relationship. And when we come to God, there is absolute trust. There is perfect trust. We trust him wholly, unreservedly, and absolutely. He is worthy of that trust. And we therein benefit and deepen our relationship with him because of that. Have you ever thought about Abraham's instant obedience? I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, they would teach instant obedience. They would say, if somebody says grenade, you, you drop to the ground because <laughs> you don't want to get blown up by the grenade. And the militaries are great at stripping identities, and necessarily so that you do what you do as a group, not as an individual. And you act as an individual, and you move as a platoon or as an individual. And Abraham, he has this trust, this intimacy in, in the relationship with God that is amazing to behold. 
when God is working with him and delegating to him and, and working through him to bring forth the nation, he knows of his character and of his integrity. And he says in, generation, in Genesis 18 and verse number 19, for I know him. There's a warmth, a closeness here. I know him. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. I know him in a close and intimate way. God has a friendship with him. Abraham is the friend of God. As a tractor plows lines in a field, they're going the same direction. And so it is with God and his friends. When we are the friend of God, his will is my law. His way is my motto. What he says I do, and I do instantly. I am his friend. The trust is there. The relationship is informing. It is guiding. It is leading me to the place that he wants me to be. That is the potential for friendship that each of us have. God's created us with this incredible social dimension. We really are amazing at our ability to relate, and we are strongest when we are relating and connecting in healthy spiritual relationships. And when we are isolated and alone, my friend, that is not the place God wants us to be. He wants us to build and to nurture these relationships. But really, the full expression of that friendship, that capacity for friendship, is found in our relationship with him. So do we love what God loves? Have we made the choice to pursue him, to walk with him, to be the friend of God? Am I all about his interest and furthering his kingdom? Is that how I live? Is that how I think? Am I truly the friend of God who has loved me? who has been so incredibly good to me, who has been so incredibly merciful and long-suffering to me, am I walking in the fullness of what a friendship of God truly is in my life? Have I realized that potential in my life? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd stand together with me, for just a moment, I'd like us just to consider where we are at in the friendships that we have. Do we recognize that God created us with a unique capacity? Perhaps we are people who, who are more not quite as outgoing and perhaps we pass it off as not quite as important as we think it should be, but it is important. And we need to grow in that sense of friendship and relationship. But especially in our walk with the Lord, there is vast potential and possibility in that relationship. Are we the friend of God? Do we recognize his perfect delight that he enjoys our company, that he has the grace and humility to relate to us and enable friendship, are we the friend of God?
and enjoying the benefit and the blessing of that friendship. As Jenna begins to play the piano, I just pray whatever decision, maybe God is working in your life, wherever you're at today, I pray that each of us would stand before God and say, God, I want to grow in my friendship with you. I want that part of my relationship to be more full and more complete. Maybe we've never had that friendship or that relationship. If you need to be saved, I'd encourage you to come forward this morning and ask God to do a work in your life. Ask God to save you and give you the life and friendship that he wants to give you. Whatever the need, I pray that you would come. I pray that you would make the decision that God is leading you to make.